The Orioles have made their first trade of the offseason, and while it's not the exciting blockbuster deal to get an ace, they have picked up their backup catcher, acquiring James McCann from the New York Mets. We'll break down the deal and talk about what McCann can do for the O's coming up on this special breaking news episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, December 22nd, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, coming to you on a bit of an emergency podcast. Not like the Orioles made the biggest deal in the world, but got two episodes for you coming up here on a Thursday because... The Orioles made a move shortly after 11 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday night after I had recorded our first episode here on Thursday, a little Orioles news and notes talking about interest in Rich Hill and Michael Waka, the Orioles DFAing Lewin Diaz, Jorge Mateo trade rumors, some minor league signings. Make sure to go back and listen to that one as well here on Thursday. But the O's made a move after I had recorded, wasn't able to get one out on Wednesday night, but here we are on Thursday morning with a new episode for you, breaking down the James McCann trade. It was announced by all the people at baseball, Jeff Passan, Ken Rosenthal, Bob Nightingale, all over it. Orioles acquired the 32-year-old catcher James McCann from the New York Mets in exchange for a player to be named later. And we're not going to know who that player is just quite yet. Probably going to find out by spring training, but... What we do know is this is the first trade of the Michael Elias era where he is going to send a prospect to another team and get a major leaguer back. And although this is a pretty low level of that, this is at least a little bit of progress for the Orioles towards competing instead of rebuilding. And I think that's at least one positive that you can take out of this deal. But we're going to break down the deal in its entirety. We're going to look at James McCann all his struggles in 2022, but the success that he's had in his career before that, kind of what his role will be with the Orioles as Adley Rutschman's backup, look at the corresponding move that was made and Tyler Nevin being DFA'd, and then what is next for the Orioles. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And so let's jump right into it. The Orioles have made their first trade of the offseason. And although it's not their first trade acquiring a major leaker, you know, they did get Brett Phillips at the deadline last year. That deal was just for cash with the Tampa Bay Rays. And Phillips was terrible, and they DFA'd him. James McCann is at least a player who could help the Orioles some. To what degree, we don't quite know. But the O's have gone out and traded a minor leaguer for a major leaguer. So let's start with the trade. Again, a player to be named later to the Mets for James McCann. Now, if you're not quite sure how the player to be named later works, Dan Connolly of The Athletic did have a tweet about it last night, but generally, teams will send a small list of players to the other team that they can pick from, and they kind of give them some time to pick that player. So, it looks like the Orioles will send a list of about five low-level prospects to the New York Mets, and the Mets, most likely by around spring training, will select one of those five players that they would like to have, and that will be the player that goes to New York in exchange for James McCann. Now, there's already been reporting, and common sense tells you this is not going to be a top 30 prospect. 
This is not even really going to be someone who you've probably heard a lot about in the Orioles system. It will most likely be a lower-level guy, someone from the FCL, maybe Delmarva, you know, not a high draft pick, again, not a top 30 prospect, somebody who's, who's probably put up some good numbers but isn't exactly having the biggest prospect standing. Listen, this deal for the Mets is not about the prospect they're going to get back for James McCann because it's not going to be someone most likely who turns into a big leaguer in any stretch. This is about the salary and the roster spot for James McCann. As we'll get into... McCann had a very injury-riddled and a a very bad season for the Mets in 2022. His second of a four-year deal, he signed with New York before the 2021 season. And he was definitely better, but still wasn't great in his first year in 2021 either. And the Mets were ready to move on. They signed Omar Narvaez earlier this offseason. I would argue Narvaez is still a starting catcher at this point. He's maybe a fringe starter versus backup. They also have Francisco Alvarez. Their top prospect is a catcher. Did come up at the end of the year last year to the majors, so he's ready to go. And they also have Tomas Nito, who honestly became the better option than James McCann last year for the Mets at catcher. So they would tell you that after the Narvaez signing, they had three catchers on the roster better than James McCann, but McCann was by far the highest paid. So essentially, although Steve Cohen showed us by paying 300 plus million to get Carlos Correa the other day, that money is no object. If you're not even going to have James McCann on the roster, you might as well try to trade him instead of DFA him so you can at least get somebody else to take a little bit of that money and knock down your luxury tax just a little because why not? That's kind of how the Mets were operating with this deal. So James McCann has two years and $24 million left on the four-year contract that he signed. So he has signed through the 2024 season. But to get the Orioles to take him, the Mets are going to pay most of that salary. So the Mets are going to pay 19 million of the 24 million, which basically means the Orioles gave up a essentially almost nothing prospect, a player to be named later, and in exchange they will get a solid backup catcher in James McCann on what will be a 2-year $5 million deal. They will pay him $2.5 million a year over the next 2 years. Any of the backup catchers, the kind of veteran types who are still out there in free agency, now, a couple of good ones are already gone, especially Austin Hedges. Austin Hedges signed for $5 million. If you wanted to go get, I don't know, a Kurt Casale type, would have been around 3 or $4 million. So you get James McCann for $2.5 million. It's basically the same thing. And McCann, you could argue, has a higher upside than all of the free agent catchers that are left. So, again, not a splash giant move but an upgrade and I think a solid trade that was made by the Orioles. But, of course, you do have to get into, well, what is James McCann right now as a major leaguer? Again, 32 years old, did not have a good year in 2022 with the Mets. Again, it was his second season with New York, went into the year expecting to be their starting catcher. It wasn't pretty in 2021. You know, he played 121 games, 400 plate appearances, hitches 232, 10 home runs, just an 80 WRC+. He was good behind the plate, had a .5 war. They were hoping for more coming into the 2022 season, and it just didn't happen. He had a little bit of a back issue in spring training, and that just set his season on the wrong path. Now, he ended up with multiple injuries. He missed a month in July with a left oblique strain. He missed six weeks from May to June. He broke a bone in his left wrist and got surgery, so he missed a lot of time. And because of the ineffectiveness as well, and by the end of the year, he wasn't even the starting catcher, McCann, because of all those factors, only played 61 games for the Mets in 2022. Only got 191 plate appearances, but those plate appearances were not pretty. 
It was a 195 average, a 257 on base, and just a 282 slugging percentage. That's just three home runs and a 59 WRC+. Yeah, he was 41% worse than a league average hitter at the plate last year. His 5.8% walk rate was his lowest since his rookie season with Detroit in 2015. Now, I will say 24.1% strikeout rate was also his lowest since he was with the Tigers in 2017. So that was a good, good thing because he had a career-high strikeout rate last year with the Mets. So it was nice that he cut into it a little bit. Ended up with a 0.4 war via fan graphs. The defense was still solid. It was good enough to have him be an above-league-average, above-replacement-level player, but just barely because the bat was so bad. Now, he also did some concerning things at the plate where generally in his career— Although he hasn't been a great hitter, he'd been able to hit lefties throughout his career. He didn't do that this year either. He hit under 100. He hit 092 against left-handed pitching. Now, on the flip side, he hit 257 against righties, which is better than he usually does, but he literally could not hit a left-handed pitcher. He's always been able to hit fastballs in his career. He hit barely 200 on fastballs this year. That was a big issue as well. So basically all of the offensive stats, they went down. But again, couple of positives. Again, that lowest strikeout rate since 2017. Most of baseball strikeout rates rising. Good to see his falling. That's something you can work with. And he got unlucky. His 244 BABIP, that's a batting average on balls in play, by far the lowest of his career. Generally, anything below about 270 means you got a little unlucky. He was down at 244. And the expected stats show that. Via Statcast. So although he hit 195 in terms of how he how hard he hit the ball, how well he hit the ball, his barrels, his expected batting average via Statcast was 244. Again, that is 49 points higher than his actual batting average, which means he was really, really unlucky. He slugged only 282. Expected slugging percentage was 404. He should have been a much better hitter. Now, would he have still been a good hitter? I mean, at best, he could have gotten himself to near league average. So it's not like we're talking about an amazing hitter if things go his way. But he was not as bad as some of the surface stats show this year. And that difference between his batting average of 195 and his expected batting average of 244 was the 10th largest difference for any player in Major League Baseball in 2022. So he was one of the most unluckiest hitters in all of baseball. Kind of up there with how unlucky Ryan Mountcastle was this season. So just something to think about when you look at the bad offensive numbers. And the other thing about McCann is, yeah, it wasn't great in 2021. It was bad in 22. But before he signed with the Mets, you know, he was he was with Detroit, came up in, in 2014. He was a second-round pick of the Tigers back in 2011. And he was a solid catcher with the Tigers for a while. His offense was never league average. His best year with Detroit was 2017, had a 94 WRC+, plus, hit a career-high 13 homers to that point, hit 253. But he was never really known for his offense. Then he gets traded to the White Sox in 2019, and the offense takes a huge step up. He hit 273 in 2019, 18 home runs, a career-high, had a 108 WRC+. Plus. Then he was dominant in the 2020 shortened season with the White Sox, had a 141 WRC plus that year, did only play in 31 games, but he hit 289, a career high. And that's why the Mets gave him that four-year contract in free agency after 2020, because he'd been so good in his two years with the White Sox. So I think maybe not that bat is still in there, but he has the ability to at least hit 
a little bit. I mean, yeah, he got a little lucky with his BABIP that we talked about in 2019 and 2020, but he was mashing lefties. He was mashing fastballs. He showed that there's something in that bat in those couple of seasons. Is he going to do that again? Probably not, but I think almost certainly he's going to be better at the plate than he was last season. And defensively, you're getting a good defensive catcher. According to StatCast, he's in the 62nd percentile in terms of pitch framing behind the plate. Now, is that elite? No, it's not anywhere close to what Adley Rutschman does back there. But again, he's going to be Adley's backup. You're not getting him to be a starting catcher. He's not playing every day. And when you compare it to Robinson Torinos, who was quite literally, per the stats, the worst framing catcher in all of baseball last year, you are certainly upgrading. He had two defensive runs saved, according to fan graphs. And across his career, he's been not an elite, but a good pitch framer, good at handling a staff, good at blocking pitches. Now, the one knock on his game, not a good throwing arm. He is in the 14th percentile in terms of his pop time behind home plate. That's the time it takes from when you catch the pitch for the ball to get down to second base on a throw. So that is not what you want. However, if he's a good framer, it still works because, listen, he is a backup catcher. He's not being brought in to be their starter. So let's talk a little bit more about that. You know, what what will it look like for James McCann being the backup catcher to Adley Rutschman? What is his role going to be with the Orioles next year and, and potentially the year after that as well? We will get to all that coming up next. But first, let's talk about this. Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence that's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell, your coworkers can tell, even your parents can tell. Everyone can tell. So what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you drive different. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI. Paid for by NHTSA. So we're talking about James McCann, who the Orioles acquired via trade from the New York Mets on Wednesday night, sending a player to be named later back to New York in the deal. And the Mets are eating $19 million of the $24 million left on McCann's contract through the 2023 and 24 seasons. The O's basically, they get a backup catcher on a two-year $5 million deal and a guy who has been a starter for a long time as well. Not really a bad deal. So you look at the Orioles roster at this point. Obviously, Adley Rutschman is a stud. He's a star. He could be a generational talent behind the plate. He is your starting catcher. The O's needed a backup. They get James McCann. He is the backup catcher for the Orioles. Now, I know Bob Nightingale had tweeted out on Wednesday night that McCann expects to play about 80 games. I would guess it looks more like 65 maybe to 70 games that he would play this year. Again, he played 61 with the Mets. That was mostly because of injury. If he's going to be Adley's backup, he's going to play a solid amount. You know, he's going to be in the lineup at least two times a week, potentially more. Adley's going to get at least one day off and maybe two days off per week. You want to save guys' knees. We've been through this process before. Everyone complaining about Adley doesn't play enough. He basically plays slightly below the rate that JT Romuto plays, the best catcher in baseball who plays the most in baseball. And Adley's rate by the end of the season was just slightly below how often Romuto plays. He generally plays as much as any other good catcher does in MLB. So you need a backup, especially on day games, after night games, and just in general, to give Adley a break. And that is what 
James McCann is going to do. And the other thing is, you know, I get that his offense was <laughs> terrible. I mean, Mets fans are like, oh, good luck with that offense. Yeah, we know he couldn't hit. He could hit when he was with the White Sox. He could hit a little bit with Detroit. He, he hasn't hit with the Mets. That's fine. He's still an upgrade over Robinson Chirinos. So, I mean, listen, McCann hit 195 last year. Chirinos hit 179. Their WRC Plus was essentially the same because Chirinos showed a little bit more power. But, I mean, Robinson Chirinos, a 31% strikeout rate. James McCann at 24%. So, at the very least, he's going to put the ball in play a little bit more. And McCann was so injured. Trinos was healthy the whole year and did that. McCann had three different injuries last season that I'm sure caused some of those stats to be the lowest of his career at the plate. I mean, an oblique injury and a wrist injury, not exactly two good things, especially for a catcher. And he had a back injury as well. But they all seem to be cleared up. I mean, he seems to be healthy heading into 2023. So that's one way to upgrade over Robinson Chirinos. The other thing is, as I mentioned before, Robinson Chirinos was the worst Framing catcher in all of baseball. Among 62 qualified catchers defensively last year per stat cast, Robinson Torinos was the worst pitch framer in all of baseball. So it's hard not to upgrade. And they get James McCann, who is in the top half. He's in the top 30 of those pitch framers. That's much, much better. He's handled his staff in his career. I mean, he's worked with Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer last year and guys like Lucas Giolito and others in Chicago. He you know, worked in Detroit, you know, back when... Justin Verlander was there, and, and, you know, Max Scherzer was was there in Detroit. You know, he came up in 2014. You know, he was not on the playoff roster, but he was with Detroit when they got swept by the Orioles in the ALDS. He was with all those Cy Young winners, you know, with, with Scherzer and with Verlander and with David Price and Anibal Sanchez and Rick Porcello and all those guys. He's worked with so many good pitchers in his career. He's going to help this Orioles staff. That's a big thing from this move as well. And the other good thing is he can play first base. He has played 60 innings at first base over the last two years with the Mets. It's not a lot, but he's fine out there. And what the Orioles didn't really have on this roster, which I talked about actually on our first episode today, if you want to go check that one out, is that they still don't kind of have that backup first baseman to Ryan Mountcastle. You know, of course, they had Mountcastle and Mancini on the roster most of last year. They traded Mancini. They had Tyvon Evans still around. They added Jesus Aguilar at the end of the year. They kind of always had that option at first base. But they also had worked out Anthony Santander and Taron Vavra at first. Adley Rutschman played some first base in college and in the minors as well. So they had kind of that emergency option behind Mountcastle. But now you have a guy in McCann who has actually played some first base in the big leagues on the roster. So if Mountcastle gets hurt during the middle of the game or you're facing a lefty and you really need to give Mountcastle a day off or whatever it may be, James McCann can go play first base, and he'll still be solid over there defensively. Like, you won't lose this crazy amount where you have a guy over there who doesn't know what he's doing. So that's the other thing, because, you know, the Orioles DFA'd Lewin Diaz to make room for Michael Givens yesterday. There goes a first base option. As we'll talk about in a bit, they DFA'd Tyler Nevin for this move. That's another first base option. And really, the only other guy is Franchi Cordero, who's on a minor league deal. You know, he's not even on the 40-man roster at this point. So you didn't really have that backup first baseman. McCann gives you a sense where he's on the roster to be your backup catcher, but he can be that emergency first baseman if you need it, and that just helps the roster a little bit more as well. Now, we heard guys like Ken Rosenthal on Wednesday night talk about how, you know, McCann could be more than just a backup catcher. He could DH some for the Orioles, play a little first base, and generally be in the lineup more than just on Sundays to relieve Adley. I think that will happen, 
And the one thing you can look at is, although McCann was terrible against lefties last year, it was only in about 70 plate appearances just because of all the injuries that he had. But in general, in his career, he's been a good hitter. He's been able to hit lefties throughout his career. He has a career 110 WRC plus against left-handers. And specifically when his offense was really good in Chicago in 2019 and 2020, he was so good because he dominated lefties, had a 130 WRC plus against lefties in 2019, and had a 234 WRC plus against lefties in 2020 with the White Sox. He's shown he can hit lefties. He hit over 300 against fastballs those years. He's a guy who can still barrel up the baseball at times and can hit a lefty. And for the Orioles, a team that was 24th in baseball against left-handed pitching last year as an option, 24th in baseball, just a 90 WRC+. They really struggled against lefties. This is a guy who historically in his career has hit lefties well. That is going to, even if it's marginally, it's going to help the Orioles' offense moving forward. So again, I get that James McCann is not the sexiest pickup, but your backup catcher is never going to be the sexiest pickup. They weren't going to get Wilson Contreras or even like Gary Sanchez to be their backup catcher. The Orioles wanted a solid veteran defender who can hit a little better than Robinson Torinos. And that's what they got. And it continues their trend of kind of the marginal upgrades of the offseason. We've talked about it. They wanted to upgrade on Jordan Lyles. They got Kyle Gibson. That's a small upgrade and that veteran presence. They wanted to upgrade on Rugnet Odor. They got Adam Frazier. Small upgrade on that veteran presence. They wanted another veteran in the bullpen, Michael Givens. He's not amazing anymore, but he's good. Small upgrade in the bullpen. Robinson Chirinos was a good leader. Couldn't hit, couldn't field. Let's get an upgrade there. You get James McCann. He can field. He can hit a little bit better, and he's still that veteran leader. There's your marginal upgrade. So it's been four additions to the Major League roster with veterans this offseason, and they've all been kind of marginal additions on the edges. You haven't seen that big splash signing. We haven't seen any kind of big trade to really fully upgrade the middle part of the Orioles roster, but at least they're adding on the margins and they haven't subtracted from the roster at all. You know, they've upgraded in all of those spots. Again, as I talked about at the top, it's Elias's first prospect for big leaguer trade, which I think is a small step forward, as are all these moves this offseason. Small steps forward for the Orioles. I would love for them to make a big step forward. It might still happen with a trade for a starter, but it doesn't feel like it's going to, so at least they're doing this. It's still disappointing overall the offseason, but this move in a vacuum is completely fine. It's completely fine. You're getting a solid veteran backup catcher who's been a starting catcher for the last, I don't know, six, seven years, and he's still only 32, and you're getting him on a two-year, $5 million deal, and all you had to do was give up $5 million and basically a nothing prospect on the player to be named later. That's it. That's a good deal by the Orioles, and again, as I put on the Locked On Orioles Twitter account on Wednesday night, it's not amazing, but it's a win. Not a big win, but it's a win for the Orioles. And at least small wins hopefully will add up to more actual wins on the field next year. And if James McCann is bad, like he's as bad as he was with the Mets last year, but he's healthy and it's over a full season, you can just DFA him. You know, he's not costing you big money. You don't have really any ties to him. You have Adley Rutschman, a generational talent as your starting catcher. You're not relying on McCann. He's just your backup. He's really bad. DFA him. Bring up Anthony Benboom. Bring up Mark Colesbury. Bring up Maverick Hanley at some point. You know, just have a good defender back there. Be Adley's backup and play a little less. That's that's perfectly fine. And he's going to help the team. And if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. You didn't give up anything. It's not like you have all these chips on James McCann. 
it's it's almost a nothing move that helps the Euros marginally. I, I don't really see a, a downside to bringing in James McCann. But the Orioles get their backup catcher, so the next question is, well, what's next for the Orioles? We'll talk about that coming up next. So the O's have gotten their backup catcher in James McCann. They've gotten their starting pitcher upgrade. They got their second base upgrade. They got their veteran reliever. McCann, Gibbons, Gibson, and Frazier. So I guess this comes to the point of what's next for the Orioles? They did make the corresponding move. You know, they announced the trade for James McCann. The 40-man roster was full, so the Orioles did DFA Tyler Nevin. Did want to talk about that a little bit. 25-year-old infielder who, you know, funny enough, the Orioles acquired in the Michael Givens trade back in 2020. They acquired Givens, and then the two were on the 40-man roster together for one day with the Orioles, and then Nevin is DFA'd. I correctly predicted that Lewin Diaz would be the DFA for Michael Givens, and I also did say on this morning's episode that Tyler Nevin, when I recorded before the McCann trade, Tyler Nevin would be the next guy to go off the 40-man roster, and that was the case here for the Orioles. Again, just hasn't shown an ability to, to be any kind of impact player at the big league level. 58 games, 184 plate appearances with the Orioles in 2022 for Nevin. He hit just 197 with a 299 on base, 261 slugging. That's just a 67 WRC+. The defense, which was solid in the minors at third, at first, and right field and left field, took a big step back. He ended up being worth negative .6 war. He was below replacement level. He, he just was not good. 25% K rate. I mean, his 11% walk rate is good, but he only hit two homers. He didn't hit for any of the power that he had flashed sometimes in the minors. And again, he, he's a player who's too good for AAA. In 191 AAA plate appearances this year, he had a 130 WRC+. Tyler Nevin basically is a 4A player at this point. Too good for AAA, but hasn't shown he's good enough to be in the big leagues yet. And with all the infielders on this Orioles roster and all the ones ready to come up soon as well, it just didn't make sense to have Tyler Nevin around. I would say it's probably 50-50 whether Nevin gets claimed by another team. If he does, it's going to be a rebuilding team like the Nationals who has an opening at a corner position and is just going to kind of let him play this season and see if he can regain some of that value he had as a prospect. If not, you know, this is his first time being DFA'd, so the Orioles will be able to keep him in the organization in AAA. He can't elect free agency. So I do think... There's a chance he could stay with the O's and just kind of be depth, play some third base, some corner outfield, some first base with the Norfolk Tides this year. And if the Orioles are in a pinch, they could bring him back up. And that's probably the the hopeful outcome because you can never have too much depth. But I wouldn't be surprised if Nevin has played his last game in an Orioles uniform. Still gave him a little bit, but it does seem like Terran Vavra was the, uh, the top addition from that trade. Nevin, I was disappointed in. I was big on the Tyler Nevin train. I thought all of his kind of skill sets worked out, you know, good batter's eye, solid power, can play a lot of different positions, and he just wasn't good at any of those things in the big leagues like he was good at them in the minors, and and, and that's why he ends up getting DFA'd. Now, for what's next for the O's, well, they could theoretically go into spring training without making another move. I mean, they've upgraded on the margins, they've gotten healthy, they've got all their young guys coming up. They could do it. Now, they should add another starting pitcher. And whether that is Michael Waka or Rich Hill, talked about the interest the O's had in them on today's earlier episode. Make sure to go back and listen or watch that one. Could hopefully be a trade. You know, the Mets and Orioles could not be done making trades. You know, there were some murmurs about maybe the O's being interested in David Peterson. 
a little bit from the Mets rotation. There are other starting pitchers out there via trade we'll continue to talk about coming up in the next few weeks here on the podcast. They could sign another veteran relief pitcher. You know, maybe instead of big upgrades in the rotation, it's just small upgrades, and then they upgrade the bullpen to make the pitching staff as a whole better. And I still think they could use another bat. I think kind of a left-handed bat, first base slash corner outfield slash DH type, but even if it's a right-handed bat, I think they just need another thumper with power in this lineup that they should add. Not a whole lot of options left in free agency, but maybe a trade there could happen as well. Those are all things that could get done for the Orioles. And I would say next up on the DFA list, probably Bruce Zimmerman, maybe Spencer Watkins, maybe Joey Crable or Nick Vespi when the O's or if the O's do make another move. But I would say at this point, they still need a bat. They still need a starting pitcher. They could go into spring training like this, but... It would be disappointing. Hopefully, with all the prospects they've got, the ability to trade, there will be a bigger trade coming up than this James McCann one. But at the end of the day, this James McCann trade didn't cost much, and it helps the Orioles moving forward. But that, I think, will do it for the week. Thought when I recorded on Wednesday evening that that would be it for the week, but the Orioles made a trade. So unless the O's make another big trade or a big signing this weekend— I'll be back on Monday with another episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. We'll look at the Orioles roster a little further and dive into those Jorge Mateo rumors that teams are calling about trading for Jorge Mateo. We'll talk about if the O's should do it and what they would need to ask for in return to make that deal. But that's all coming up on Monday's episode of the pod. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked on Orioles podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. We'll see you every day.